Hello and welcome back to Power Lines from Ukraine to the world, a podcast from Message Heard and the Kiev Independent. I'm Jakub Parushinsky. Each week, we're going to be analyzing the undercurrents of the war in Ukraine, bringing you analysis from across the globe to explain its context and consequences as the war continues. And this week, we're taking a look at one of the most significant military developments of the war, a technology that has changed the nature of fighting in Ukraine and is having a huge impact on the future of military engagements across the globe, drone warfare. The past two years of fighting in Ukraine have seen a multitude of types of combat. We've had urban warfare in the suburbs of Kiev. We've had blitzkriegs with tanks and armored vehicles. We've had aerial strikes, as well as trench warfare in the Donbass, reminiscent of what fighting looked like a hundred years ago. But we've also seen something that tells us about the future. Drone warfare. To be clear, that means a lot of different things. Drones range from the kind of quadcopters that you see kids playing with in parks all across the world to things that look basically like planes and are sent hundreds of kilometers behind enemy lines to disrupt supplies and target depots. The use of drones has become incredibly creative and terrifying. And we see constant videos of drones dropping grenades on soldiers, even flying into trenches. But behind that is also a massive scale. By some measures, Ukraine is losing up to 10,000 drones a month. So we're talking about something that is unprecedented. And behind all of that is a industry that has now formed and is producing a massive scale of drones. But that was initially built, in many cases, by volunteers simply taking drones and adapting them to the needs of modern warfare in garages. But what was once a chaotic collection of individuals trying to build tools for their fighters has grown into something that is reshaping the war in Ukraine and perhaps reshaping warfare to come. To learn more about Ukraine's flourishing drone industry, I got in touch with Federico Borsari. Federico is a Leonardo Fellow at the Transatlantic Defense and Security Program at the Center of European Policy Analysis. So he's a colleague of Sam Green, who we spoke with earlier this season about Russia. His work looks at transatlantic defense and security dynamics with a focus on unmanned technologies and their military implications. That means drones. He became really interested in this topic over the past four years and has published a number of fascinating reports on their use in Ukraine that I really recommend checking out. I started off by asking him about some of the recent Ukrainian drone attacks on Russian soil and what they can tell us about the war. Hi, Federico. Welcome to Powerlines. Hi, Jakub. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. We're speaking on January 23rd, but just two days ago on January 21st, Ukrainian drone strikes hit a Russian gas terminal near St. Petersburg. Attacks like these have become more frequent over the past year. What does that tell us about the place of drones in this war right now and going forward into 2024? 
Yeah, so as you mentioned, the number of attacks in in Russia conducted by Ukraine has increased over over the past year, and I, and I think uh, you know what we are seeing is a is a trend whereby you know Ukraine is using drones to strike you know uh, targets deep into into Russian territory uh, much more than than it was doing uh, you know in the first year of, of the invasion. Even though I would say you know the recent strikes actually follow a long series of, of similar attacks. That that began in the second half of, of, of 2022. And w- one of these first such attacks, for instance, took place in June that year and saw the use of a, of a, uh, of a Chinese commercial Mugin 5 fixed-wing drone, which was packed with explosive and, and was used to strike an oil refinery in the Rostov region. So it was a similar, uh, let's say, attack to what happened a couple of days ago near St. Petersburg. It shows that Ukraine is now able to use drones uh, to deliver strategic effects, basically, against Russia and to compensate to a certain extent for the lack of long-range missiles. This is certainly uh, an important development because we know that Ukraine has been asking Western partners and allies for more missiles. But we also know that due to a number of reasons, these missiles have not been delivered in the numbers necessary to, you know, tip the balance in favor of Ukraine, at least when it comes to long range capabilities. So drones are, you know, now very important for Ukraine to, you know, strike in depth against Russia. And we know that Ukraine has a lot of, of drones of this type, like the UJ-22, the Bobert, or the AQ-400. Uh, These are drones that, that, you know, are bigger than than commercial quadcopters, for instance, and are used for this purpose. Yeah. So maybe just to help our audience picture this a little bit, just going over a little bit what we mean by drones, because I think a lot of the time when people talk about drones, people think about these quadcopters that are flying around, maybe providing some footage. Uh, Right now, we're talking about something that looks a lot more like, I guess, a small plane or a missile. What other kind of types of drones have been used here? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. We have seen a, a very quick and rapid evolution in the shape and 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 design of drones uh, in the war in Ukraine. And I would say, you know, we can start by saying that actually Ukraine and also Russia uh, did have a lot of drones already at the beginning of the invasion almost two years ago. But that was you know, based on the military necessity of the two countries at that time. So no one was expecting, you know, drones to be and to become so important for warfare, right? So as the invasion actually started and continued, we have seen an evolution in, in the design and of, of the system that have been used by the two sides. And we have a whole kind of different drones today being used. And this range from, you know, small commercial quadcopters, uh, so using four propellers that you can buy on the internet uh, very easily to first-person view drones that are used to, uh, for instance, strike you know targets at short range. And first-person view drones are are quite interesting because are actually commercial racing drones that are used by hobbyists. We have seen also a lot of you know medium-sized fixed-wing drones similar to small planes in a way in design. And you know there are many 
many different models that I can mention, the Orlan 10 and Zala, uh, you know, drones uh, used by Russia, but also, you know, the Leleka 100, for instance, used by, U- by Ukraine or the Shark uh, used by, by Kiev forces. And then we have, uh, you know, larger systems. These are, of course, more expensive. And the Bayraktar TB2, for instance, is, is one of the most famous. And it has, you know, created kind of uh, aura uh, uh, <laughs> in the public, you know, and also uh, there is also a song entitled the TB2. Indeed, there's a there's a song about, yeah, Bayraktar. Yes. And I think for a while, even in Ukraine, people were naming their dogs and even in some cases, their children Bayraktar just because of how popular it had become. But you mentioned something that was quite interesting. So both Ukraine and Russia had drones coming into the full-scale invasion. But it feels like, or at least it sounds like, there has been a revolution in terms of the importance of drones for modern warfare. Is it more about a question of quality that the drones have evolved? Is it a question of scale, of just how widely they are used, or even creativity, that they are now used in new applications that perhaps people had not thought of before, or as always, all of the above? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a combination of, of reasons. I would say that, you know, at the beginning of, of the conflict, as I mentioned, so no one was expecting drones to play such a such an important role. So the number of drones, you know, incorporated into the two sides militaries was small or not as big as, as it is today, of course. But we have seen, you know, the, uh, the importance of drone changing according to the operational needs and the resources of the actors involved into this conflict. Of course, it's important to remember that the nature of, of the war in Ukraine is very, very specific, and it's 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 a risk to try to compare Ukraine with other examples. So every every conflict has its own, you know, nature and features. But I would say. Uh, that of course this you, you know the operational needs have changed and this is why drones have become so so important in the conflict for for both sides but it was ukraine that initially you know mastered and and pioneered the use of drone compared to russia and so we started to see commercial quadcopters being used in increasing numbers uh, by ukrainian forces because they needed a ways to monitoring the, the battlefield monitoring the front line and making sure the movement of Russians were known to, to the command. And so they used commercial drones for surveillance, you know, reconnaissance uh, purposes early on uh, during the invasion. And, and we have seen this trend you know, increasing you know, at fast pace in the following months. And as Ukraine be- became so, you know, so good at using small commercial quadcopters. I'm, I'm, you know, referring to DJ, DJI drones and many other types of commercial quadcopters. Also, Russia started to uh, to adapt actually, and so we have seen also this kind of adaptation trend in the conflict by Russia. Various countermeasures. Countermeasures, correct. Yeah. And and also resources played, of course, a huge, a huge role because since the very beginning, Ukraine was in a position of you know disadvantage compared to Russia. I mean, not just in terms of the military budget the two countries had uh, before the invasion, but also in terms of the capabilities. So uh, for Ukraine was was basically essential just to to use drones to compensate for the lack of other of other means. You know, we have seen how good simply Ukraine has become in using drones and innovating in the tactics and techniques its forces use on the battlefield with drones. 
Looking back at the experience of the military with drones, uh, both in the past, but also in other theaters, is this something that has been around for a while? Has it already been employed in, you know, other conflicts? Um, I'm thinking towards the Middle East, for example. Yeah, I mean, of course, the use of drones, it's not new. I mean, the United States and also Israel uh, were the two countries that that first introduced uncrewed systems many, many decades ago. And the systematic use of drones started to appear, I would say, uh, in the early 2000s when the United States launched the global war on terror and drones became became a very useful tool to, you know, own terrorists in remote places because of the endurance and the silence also of, of, of drones compared to, to fighter jets, right? But we witnessed a substantial change recently because, you know, if at the beginning drones were used, you know, just by a, a handful of countries in very permissive environments, uh, without, you know, air defenses or, you know, other threats to drones and where you just for counterterrorism operations or, or counterinsurgency operations. Now we are seeing drones and all types of drones being used, not just, you know, by, by state actors, but also by non-state actors. I think it's important to, to just to give you an example and a figure of this trend. You know, in, in 2010, for instance, there were around more or less 60 countries that had a, a, a military drone program. And in a matter of 13 years, so today, we have that number almost doubled. Wow. So we are around 115, 115 countries having a, a military drone program. And this is just when it comes to state actors. If we also had non-state actors, so terrorist groups or, uh, you know, insurgents or even criminal cartels, that number is much higher. And this means that drones are now in the arsenal of uh, basically every kind of organization. And we have seen, you know, the use of commercial drones for, for military purposes already in the Middle East, as you mentioned, in Iraq and Syria. Did ISIS use drones? ISIS, yes, of course, used drones to, you know, strike Iraqi security forces and also Western Western units during its campaign uh, in Iraq and Syria. So this is this is telling, right, about the the proliferation of drones across the world. So this is a trend that is only poised to increase and to, you know, expand in the future. So this expansion requires a lot of people to operate them, right? They're unmanned aerial vehicles, but that's because there's people who are uh, on the ground operating them or at least setting them up, preparing them. How much training goes into producing a drone operator? And, and what does that training look like? Yeah, it's not as simple as in my is my seem because it requires skills. It requires very competent operators and pilots that must go through a quite difficult training. Uh, so it requires a few weeks at least. Of course, depending on on how much time do you have every day to train, and also depending on the sophistication of the system. Because of course, if we call, if we talk about training for the use of high altitude drone like the MQ9 Reaper, for instance, which is one of the most famous military drones today, well, that require a lot of time, so months of training, if not more, and then continues, you know, experimentation and, 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 uh, and you know, experience with, with the platform. But if we talk about quadcopters, then a couple of weeks maybe are, are enough to uh, have the basics to, you know, pilot the system and to move it around. And then 
also comes the the ability to read the feedback from their sensor. So what the camera uh, shows you or, you know, how to drop munitions effectively from that kind of drone. And, and this means, you know, more days of more days of training. But there are huge differences based based on the sophistication. And it's not just the pilot, it's also the operator, uh, which sometimes is a is a second person that, you know, helps the pilot actually to to navigate the, the environment and, you know, okay. use the use the feedback from from the sensor of the drone that's very interesting and coming back to something that you mentioned earlier which was specifically about the countermeasures that are put in place so if we look over the past two years you know we've seen the incredible rise in the use of drones initially led by ukraine and now my sense is that it's probably a bit more balanced russia is also using drones quite extensively but also there are more and more defenses put in place against drones and I think one thing that it's important for people to realize is that, you know, there's this image of a drone operator as being a relatively safe job when it comes to the military. You're not in the trenches. You're not sort mm -hmm. of storming any positions. But actually, it turns out that there's quite a lot of casualties in those specialties as well. So could you tell us a little bit about what the difficulties are that both drone operators and drones themselves are running into? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just to give you an example, based on, you know, the information that we have and also talking with a lot of people that have been in Ukraine or even with Ukrainian personnel directly, immediately they they mentioned that, you know, being a drone operator is definitely not a, a safe, you know, role in the military because drone operators and pilots are one of the first targets Russians are uh, looking for when they start their, you know, their attacks or their operations. So this means that, you know, that type of roles uh, in the military uh, are becoming more and more important, especially for not just for Ukraine, I, I guess, also for Russia now, uh, given the number of drones that Russia is using. But this means that, you know, it's not just about the training for using the technology. It's also about the training on how to conceal, how to, you know, hidden uh, in the environment to make sure you know you're not located by the enemy and and at the same time this is also of course requires a lot of countermeasures and ways to to avoid being detected so it's not just about electronic warfare it's also about you know uh, discipline in in the electromagnetic spectrum so make sure not to you know give away your position or make sure the system is hardened against you know jamming spoofing and other electronic warfare for techniques that can reveal your location and, and make you a target for, for the enemy. Countermeasures, of course, can be of, of different types. You have active countermeasures, you have passive countermeasures, so concealing. If you use nets or other obstacles to protect your, your position, it's another passive countermeasure. And then you have active, of course, countermeasure, such as the use of anti-drone guns or electronic warfare systems to protect your position against enemy drones. What is an anti-drone gun? Well, it's a weapon that uses radio frequency jamming or spoofing to disrupt the communication signal uh, between the drone and its operator or also to disrupt the navigation signal of the drone in order to basically down it or make it uncontrollable for the pilot. Then you have anti-drone guns that use microwave to damage the circuit of the drone. So you have many different types of country U.S. guns, but these, are, these two are the most common types. I mean, this is 
absolutely fascinating. And, you know, if you think about sort of this idea that drones represent the future of warfare or a, a piece of that, certainly, using microwave and electromagnetic uh, tools to sort of disrupt certainly fits into that um, that image. You know, behind sort of the scenes of all of the operators who are working on the front lines, concealing themselves, trying to pierce through the countermeasures of their opponents, lies quite a substantial industrial machine, right? And I think one of the big things that has appeared over the past two years in Ukraine certainly is a quite a vast drone industry, I think quite fragmented. So there's there's a lot of different pieces to it. Uh, some are bigger, some are very sort of volunteer driven. Could you tell us a little bit about sort of what that drone industry looks like and perhaps how it compares to the Russian one? Because I imagine that they might be quite different. No, indeed, it is different. You're absolutely right. And it has, you know, the gap between the two uh, cases has increased, especially in the past few months, as Russia started to really centralize the effort of, of volunteering uh, organizations in Russia to provide drones to, to the military. But coming back to Ukraine, I would say, you know, it has been in the making. It has been an evolving phenomenon, an evolving industry, I would say. And before the, before the start of the invasion, there weren't you know, many drone companies in, in Ukraine. There were a few, they were, you know, building drones, sometimes for the military, sometimes for commercial or agricultural purposes. But but at the same time, it was not a, a scale production, right? It was not a big production of drones uh, before the invasion. And then all of a sudden with the military that, you know, needed a lot of drones, many companies repurposed their production and and started to provide you know more and more drones to the military and at the same time a lot of volunteering efforts and and civil society organizations started to fund drones for for the military uh, buying them off the shelf or uh, you know sourcing components from abroad and you know assembling them in Ukraine in this overall picture we we have today around 200 companies that you know, currently produce drones or drone components for, for the Ukrainian military. And according to data that I have compiled uh, together with my SIPA colleagues, Skip Davis, who is also the co-author of a, of a report that we have recently published for SIPA on drone warfare in Ukraine, we have classified more than 50 different drones being used by Ukraine alone. And this number continues to grow because it doesn't account for customized, you know, systems that, you know, are assembled even on the front line. So uh, there are there have been, uh, of course, efforts by the government of Ukraine to optimize and to improve this kind of picture and this kind of, of, of structure when it comes to drone production. And there are there have been initiatives like the, the Army of Drones, which is a joint initiative of the Digital Transformation Ministry and the governmental United 24 uh, fundraising platform, for instance. This was launched in July uh, 2022 and and it, it aimed to really bring together funders and developers to create a more unified framework and an architecture to produce so as you mentioned you're right even though there is this like centralization efforts by the government uh, at the same time, there is a continued emergence of a patchwork of passionate, you know, grassroots organization, I would say, that are, you know, producing drones directly for, you know, units within the military. This is interesting because you have organizations or initiatives like Angry Birds, for instance, which has raised over 800 
$1,000 for FPV drones alone. So you have these two parallel, let's say, directions and initiatives. And it's very crucial for Ukraine to try to optimize as much as it can this afford, because otherwise you risk to have a lot of duplication, duplication and, and waste of resources to a certain extent. So this is one side. On the other side, such a huge number of drones means that, you know, it becomes much more difficult for the Russians to, uh, you know, counter all of them because they are, they are operating on many different frequencies. They have different characteristics. And so it's, it's more difficult for the Russian air defenses to know what drones they are dealing with, for instance. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, this is this is very interesting, I think. And just to give you some data on, on Ukraine, for instance, just in 2023, the Ukrainian government allocated $1.8 billion just for the drone industry last year, basically. And in 2024, it plans to acquire 1 million drones. So this means, you know, 1 million drones are is a huge number. These, of course, are mostly expandable drones or treatable drones that are used one time because they are kamikaze drone basically so one way attack system that are you know directed against the target and that's it but this is telling because it it gives you an idea of of the scale of drone warfare currently in Ukraine and some according to some estimates Ukraine is losing to Russian air defenses and and, and electronic warfare up to you know 10,000 drones per month and i think this number is now even higher because this estimate was based on data from, from last year. So today probably is double that number. And just to conclude, the comparison with Russia, it's important because we know that Russia, as I mentioned before, is centralizing the initiative of volunteers and you know private organization to provide drones uh, to the military. And so this means that the state is behind this, this initiative and it's you know pouring funds, it's pouring uh, also infrastructure and you know production lines, for instance, for this organization to uh, increase their capacity. And, and this means it could give Russia the upper hand, for instance, against Ukraine uh, in 2024. So this means Ukraine needs to really increase its centralization efforts as well. It needs to improve some of the initiatives it's doing. It's fascinating the extent to which sort of the Russian and the Ukrainian approach are emblematic of both countries and how different they are. You know, you've got Ukraine on the one side, which seems like it's very bottom up. It's a large number of people who are maybe duplicating their efforts, but that are quite passionate. They are doing their own thing. It's quite an, it, it creative, but probably a bit chaotic. And, you know, it's difficult to scale. And then you've got Russia on the other side, which is coming at it quite top down, trying to centralize things where, you know, you essentially get scale out of that and you can start to operate on a, on a very high level. But maybe you get the kind of problems that come with standardization, right? And it's really fascinating that you mentioned that electronic warfare and being able to counter a specific model is something that, you know, Ukraine is benefiting from. And I imagine for Russia, that's the, the part where um, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. And you mentioned that quite a lot of the units themselves are buying the drones. So I imagine that the amount of money that the government is allocating, well, you need to add what the volunteers and sort of the units themselves are buying on top of that. Is there also any Western support that's coming to Ukraine's aid? 
Yes, there has been quite a substantial support from from Western partners to Ukraine, not just on the drone side, but, you know, overall for many other military equipment and and capabilities. But yes, when it comes to drones, I mean, uh, many Western countries and European companies as well have provided a lot of different, uh, you know, drone systems to Ukraine. Mainly, I would say, small and fixed wing tactical drones that are used for, you know, intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance purposes. Germany for instance, has provided a lot of this type of drones. Poland has provided loitering munitions. The U.S. have also provided a lot of uh, loitering munitions. Uh, the Switchblade uh, family, for instance, is quite is quite famous, produced by Air Environment in the U.S. and and also the secretive uh, Phoenix Ghost. It's it's another model that 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 the U.S. have provided Ukraine with, and these are important efforts. But we know that you know the the needs on the battlefield are increasing in terms of quantities uh, that are required by by frontline units to deal with Russia, and and also because Russia is scaling up its its attacks now. So this means that given the lack of, you know, conventional artillery for Ukraine, drones are becoming more and more important. And I would say in this case, first person view drones, which are the tiniest models that are that have been seen in Ukraine so far, but are becoming deadlier by the day because they are literally very, very easy to maneuver. They are very also easy to use. They are cheap. They can be produced at scale. They are not too difficult to 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 assemble with with components, and you can attach all kind of different you know warheads and munition to to this type of drone. And they are flown against you know the target directly you know through the input of of the pilot who sees the basically the video feed from its goggle uh, right uh, connected to the drone. Yeah. So these are you know systems that are mostly sourced from China, but now that China has restricted uh, drones uh, components actually exports, uh, especially to Ukraine, it becomes more complicated for Ukraine to have necessary material to assemble drones at scale. And this is why Ukraine is trying to, you know, increase the imports from Europe, from from other countries as well, to compensate for that. So there's Western support in terms of um, financially helping Ukraine sort of scale up its production. Is there also support in terms of innovation, whether it's in terms of materials or replacing Chinese components? I imagine that Western partners might have quite a bit of know-how when it comes to electronic warfare, or perhaps I'm wrong, but is that something that we're seeing at scale? Yes, that's that's right. Western countries have provided also multiple counter US systems and and you know advice on how to defeat Russian drones. We don't have you know specific numbers or 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 data on this. I would say, but uh, we know that you know many Western and European countries actually have have delivered counter US technology to Ukraine, both in terms of portable systems that can be used at the tactical level. So basically, on the trenches, along the trench line in the east to bigger systems that, that are used to protect fixed infrastructure, for instance. So, you know, it's always a cat and mouse game when it comes to uh, counter US. And at the beginning of the of the conflict of the invasion, Ukraine had the upper hand when it comes to, to drone technology, was able to evade Russian electronic warfare. But as you know, Russia started to deploy more and more electronic warfare capabilities in Ukraine in theater, then for Ukraine, it, it was more and more difficult to 
fly drones along the front line, but the signal was constantly spoofed and jammed. And so they had to, to adapt. And this is how innovation works. And Ukrainian engin- engineers have been able to adapt their drones to, you know, protect them from jamming by simply modifying the the inner structure, the components that have been used, or changing the software sometimes. And at the same time, also Russia tried to increase and and improve its electronic warfare techniques. So it's always a cat and mouse game, as as I mentioned, that is changing really by the day, I would say. And we will see constantly this, you know, phenomenon going going on uh, in the conflict. Looking sort of internationally, where would you expect this kind of drone warfare to surface in the future? And, you know, how might it kind of adapt? Obviously, I assume that we're hoping that, you know, in as few places as possible, but looking at the state of the world today and, you know, being a little bit more realistic, um, it, it's quite likely to to show up in different places. And I'm thinking now about, you know, for example, in the Middle East between Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran, there's already a fair history of drone warfare between the two. Are there other hotspots that are likely to see the emergence and, and growth of drone warfare? Well, I think so. I think the the overall trajectory of drone warfare, uh, I mean, is now quite straightforward and we will likely see drones playing a huge role uh, in future conflicts. Drones are basically are very important, if not fundamental, uh, for today's military operations and their role uh, is supposed to increase uh, exponentially, I would say, in the, in the next decades. And use of drones has really changed also the way military operations are conducted, and especially in Ukraine. I wouldn't apply these lessons in the same way for every conflict, of course, because every conflict, as I mentioned at the beginning of this recording, is different. But at the same time, we know that drones have changed quite a lot the operational picture. And uh, of course, what we are seeing today is that, you know, drones are cheaper than fighter jets and they don't have the same capabilities for now. But as technology improves, we will see, you know, more sophisticated drones to conduct operations that today are conducted by fighter jets. And I'm I'm meaning, you know, uh, long range uh, strike, I mean, air to air combat. So we are seeing uh, an evolution in in the capabilities of drones. And this means, you know, that as the technology expands, the technology becomes more sophisticated, but also more available on the market. The prices are, you know, decreasing to a certain extent for for specific, you know, types of drones. So we will see a proliferation of this, this capability across the world and more more and more countries will use drones for uh, for their military operations that that's for sure and this is not just about drones in the air domain we are seeing similar trend in the naval uh, or maritime domain and also on the ground, because we have seen how Ukraine has been able basically to use drones or include naval vessels, basically, uh, include vessels to change the, the operational picture in the Black Sea. Russia isn't able anymore to use its Black Sea fleet as it did at the beginning of, of the of the conflict because of the presence of you know kamikaze vessels used by Ukraine to dis- to disrupt naval operations by Russia and to you know threat the the Black Sea fleet and to force uh, Russia to move ships away from from Crimea because of the threat from from these drones. So this this is, has been a huge victory for Ukraine. This is an example that many countries will, will look to when it comes to, to naval operations because 
I mean, Ukraine is now able to export its grain again to control the shores of, of, of the Black Sea when it was not able to do so at the beginning of the conflict. So, And this was thanks to the Germans, right? And coming back to your uh, example of, of Saudi Arabia and Iran, yeah, well, I mean, we are already seeing, you know, how Iranian drones have wreak havoc on, on Ukraine's infrastructure and territory. And and I think this is, a, this is the most recent example, but we have seen also Iran using drones against Saudi Arabia oil infrastructure in 2019 and in 2020 as well. And this trend has now changed in, the, in that same region with the Uti uh, group using Iranian drone and, and Iranian provided technology to strike merchant vessels in the Red Sea and, and uh, in the Persian Gulf. So this trend is, is not surprising and drones will, will continue to play a major role. And this will only expand in the coming months, I would say. Just to sort of close things off, I'd love to get your thoughts on what does Ukraine's future look like within this sort of perspective. On the one hand, you know, you've got a lot of experience, know-how, industrial capabilities to produce drones. On the other hand, it sounds like drones are relatively cheap to make um, pretty much anywhere where you have enough sort of skilled knowledge base and, and industrial capacity, and they need to be adapted quite a bit to local circumstances. Does Ukraine have the capacity to become a drone hub and to keep that position for a while? Or is that something that's more likely to be temporary? No, I don't think it's temporary. I think Ukraine actually is now a major power when it comes to drone technology, not just because of the, I would say, the capability of producing drones at scale, but also because, you know, Ukraine has now the experience as a huge experience in using this technology. And this is a very important aspect because sometimes we tend to uh, look at the impact of technology considering how capable is the technology and how sophisticated it is. But it, it, technology is only half the story, basically, uh, because you also need to integrate it into your first structure. You also need to incorporate the technology in your units and make sure you have the, the proper concept of operations and, and doctrine to exploit the potential of the technology. So this means that for Ukraine, it's, it's just the beginning, I think, in terms of drone technology. They have a huge experience on how they, they can use drones. And so what it needs to do is to really centralize a little bit more the efforts in, in terms of production, in terms of channeling the funds for the right the right systems and the right projects without you know the risk of duplications. Because of course, you have many type of drones, as I mentioned, but at the same time, there are many similarities. And so how, you know, it's possible to, to best combine, you know, the technology according to the operational needs without, you know, wasting resources. So that's a question that Ukraine, Ukrainian policymakers and, and, you know, experts need to, need to answer to. And I think for the future uh, and for the coming months, it's very important for Ukraine to continue to use FPV drones because these are basically compensated for the lack of artillery. But at the same time, it would be a mistake to bet only on drones technology to achieve victory. 
or results on the battlefield. You also need to integrate drones with your, let's say, in, in a broader military architecture where you have different type of capabilities that, you know, work in synergy. And I'm referring to, you know, artillery, I'm referring to electronic warfare, I'm referring to, uh, you know, command and control. And Ukraine has provided uh, us with a lot of good insights and, and examples on how to best do it, doing it. So what Ukraine needs to do is to continue along this path and also to push Western allies as much as it can fight uh, artillery, uh, I think, uh, munitions and missiles. Because, I mean, for now, drones cannot yet replace missiles in terms of the impact they deliver on the battlefield. So I'm not saying drones will not be able to do it because we, we know that the, the technology is evolving and it's already there when it comes to, you know, long range strikes. And Ukraine has shown us that it can do it against Russia already today, but to do it at scale and to deliver effects that are, you know, robust, you need missiles. And I think here is a responsibility of Western countries and, and Europeans and all Western allies to provide this kind of capabilities to Ukraine because drones alone are not, you know, game changers. This is something I tend to repeat when I speak about drones. Thank you so much, uh, Federico. This, this has been absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure that we could continue this conversation for a lot longer. Thank you so much for, for joining us on Powerlines today. It was an absolutely fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for, for having me and uh, looking forward to the next time. Thanks so much for listening to Powerlines, from Ukraine to the world. And a big thanks to Federico for his time speaking with us. We'll be back in two weeks' time with the final episode of this season, where we'll be looking at the macroeconomic challenges that Ukraine will have to deal with in the year ahead. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Powerlines wherever you get your podcasts, as it really helps others find our show. To find more podcasts like Powerlines, look up Message Heard wherever you're listening to this podcast and find us on our website at messageheard.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by looking up at Message Heard. You can also follow The Cave Independent on Twitter and Facebook at Cave Independent and Instagram at Cave Independent underscore official to get the latest news and stay up to date with our coverage. If you're interested in more in-depth analysis of the reconstruction of Ukraine, be sure to check out insights.kievindependent.com. You can also support the Cave Independent through our website.